Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Podcast Studios in the beautiful inland northwest. This is the United States of America, and today is the 26th of September, 2020. And I'm doing this podcast because I have nothing better to do. Now, if you've been following along, we've been discussing a great deal about T-cell activation, the suppression of T-cell activity when they are effectors. We talked about different populations of T-cells from CD8 positive and CD4 positive, and of course, the multiple lineages. We also talked about natural killer cells and cytotoxic T lymphocytes. We talked about transcription factors, growth factors, cytokines, both pro and anti-inflammatory, uh, and also chemokines. We discussed the interaction of T cells with the innate immune system, primarily. We talked about antigen-presenting cells. Um, and I was in the middle of discussing with you a couple of different disease states and how T cell modification occurs. And these disease states sometimes mimic, or the chemotherapy against those disease states sometimes mimic what we are referring to as immunosenescence, which is an aging of the immune system, which has been considered one of the possible mechanisms whereby the human body ages uh, chronologically. The breakdown of the immune system might be why as people get older, they get more chronic infections. And it's also possible that because of either underactive or overactive immune system, you can end up with either, say, tumors, or in the overactive uh, regard, you could end up with an autoimmune disease. So we've followed all that along because we're connecting the immune response to aging. And we're using as a contrarian the tumorigenic pathways. So that's where we left off, and this is where we're going to go right back to. Now, is it possible uh, that testicular cancer survivors, ones we've been talking about, and I'll tell you what paper in a moment, are they actually immunosenescent? So the data we were talking from was from a BMC cancer, uh, volume 20, article 882, published just this year. And what did this paper do? It demonstrated that there was increased expression of a particular protein called P16INK4A. And that was found in CD3 positive lymphocytes, which is a signature for T cells. And this protein was associated with immunosenescence in the elderly. So does this though, however, offer conclusion that TCS, testicular cancer survivors, treated via conventional chemotherapy, indeed acquire early onset immunosenescence, or merely that a biomarker for the immune status was elevated. Even if there is a pathobiochemical signature in the population that cohere with elderly immune, let's call it sundowning, is this translated to a functional phenotype? Well, I would say chemotherapy-treated TCS do present reduced naive T cells, and there is a concomitant increase in memory T cells when compared with healthy age-matched controls, according to this paper and other literature uh, that we're following this uh, research paradigm. Indeed, 
that ratio decrease in T-naive uh, over memory cells is common in the elderly. But are healthy age match controls a good control? How can you separate the chemotherapy from the testicular cancer? This would be critical, I think, to evaluate the mechanisms for premature immunosenescence in this population. So as humans age, remember there's an increase in CD57 positive terminally differentiated senescent cells. They are cells which have a reduced proliferative capacity and an altered, of course, functionality. Now the TCS patients had elevated CD8 positive CD45RA positive, CD57 positive cells compared to the healthy controls. TCS exhibited a trend towards an increment in CD28 minus cells uh, and a group of pro-inflammatory uh, pro cells that actually increase gradually, that's what those are, with age. And they can actually account the CD8 CD28 minus cells can be up to 50% in a geriatric population. These are people over 80. So the percentage of CD28 minus cells is intriguing. In the control group, it was only about 1.5%. So that's within an expected value for young adults, which is about 0.1 to 2.5%. Whereas in the TCS uh, arm of these uh, of this study, you had CD8-28 minus cells up to about 8.3%. So that is a several-fold increase. Uh, so there might be something there associated with these cells because they are, again, linked to senescence. So that's kind of where we left off. So paper that was published in Cell Molecular Immunology in 2018, volume 15, page 735, tells us the following about CD28. So let's follow what CD8 CD28 does. CD28 is a co-stimulator for T-cell activation and survival. It's expressed on all the naive T-cell lineages, and it's highly abundant, for example, in newborn infants. Now, during T-cell education via the antigen-mediated activation and differentiation phase, there is a steady decline in CD28 expression. So there is an age-associated increase in CD8, CD28 minus T-cells in the periphery. And that marks a decrease in naive T-cell immune function, becoming more pronounced in, of course, the elderly. Specifically, the class CD8-positive, CD28-negative T-cells are more abundant as one ages. So this subclass offers poor immune responsiveness, uh, that's its phenotype, and it is linked to telomere attrition. So we could say it's age-associated replicative senescence. That's what I would call it. So CD8-positive, CD28-negative T-cell dominance is associated with aging populations. And in fact, populations that have cancer, that are prone to viral infection, bacterial infection, autoimmunity, and in fact, general chronic inflammation. So that means the CD28 positive, CD, uh, CD8 positive, CD28 negative T cells may actually function as suppressor cells 
within the CD8 positive T cell population. And therefore, they may represent a unique reservoir of Treg-like cells that indeed inhibit T cell activation and proliferation. And they're coincident with secretion of pro-inflammatory cytokines while inducing apoptosis in previously activated T cells. Cell contact and soluble factors, including a whole host of proteins we've talked about, TGF-beta, cytokine interleukin-7, interleukin-10, the protein PDL1, and the FAST cell, which of course is associated with uh, program cell death, contribute to the ability of CDA-positive, CD28-negative T-cells to regulate the T-cell response. Furthermore, the CD8-positive, CD28-negative T-cells can directly control T-cell responses, such as by upregulating proteins known as LILRB4 and the LILRB2. And those are found on antigen-presenting cells. And those give rise to tolerogenic APCs, antigen-presenting cells, that have an impaired capacity for co-stimulating um, functional T cells and uh, inhibit the co-stimulating of T cell activation. So the tolerized APCs also interact with naive CD-positive T cells. They induce their expression of FOXP3, and we know what that does. It promotes their development in the CD8-positive CD8, CD28 negative, FOXP3 positive T cells, which are a major, the major subset of the CD8, CD28, CD8 positive, CD28 negative T regs. Thus, that cell lineage is associated with numerous inflammation related disorders, even in the non elderly population. So now you get an idea what the CD28 is about. Now, unlike the increase in the CD8-positive, 28-negative Tregs in the testicular cancer survival patients, B lymphocytes didn't show any significant differences between cases and controls in their naive cell population. Now, I want you to recall that P16-INC4A, remember that protein, is a cyclin-dependent kinase inhibitor. And it's also an aging biomarker, as we've been describing. And it renders the senescence growth arrest irreversible since it blocks what? Cell cycle. So it's irreversible once that protein lights up. So the CDK and 2A gene expression, which is the gene for the P16 INC4A, is also increased in women with breast cancer exposed to chemotherapy. So this is looking like that might be another immunosenescent induction based on chemotherapy. So remember, CDKN2A expression in all CD3-positive T lymphocytes is a good biomarker of senescence because, for one thing, there's a 16-fold change over a human lifespan. That's pretty tremendous, right? So the combined effect of that gene expression inhibiting proliferation of aging T-cell populations, the loss of the CD28 serves to enhance the immunosenescent phenotype. And this may be made more florid in a healthy elderly 
as well as, arguably, chemotherapy-treated younger adults. Okay? So you get the idea where we're going with this. So ultimately, this T-cell phenotype confers increased susceptibility to infection, enhances the potential to chronic infection and chronic inflammation, which of course is separable, and it gives a potentiating mechanism for autoimmune disease, however also tumorigenesis, cardiovascular disease, and indeed metabolic disorders like type 2 diabetes. They're all linked to later in life morbidities associated closely with human mortality. All right. So, this BMC paper that we've been talking about now, thus might offer a perspective on the differences of the lymphocyte phenotype and that gene CDK and 2A P16 inc 4A protein expression in the healthy cohort versus the compromised TCS population. Now, ironically, Frank type 2 diabetes and hypogonadism actually alter the P16 inc 4 expression in non-testicular cancer populations. So it may be difficult to separate the effects of the, the expression of that gene, the CDK and 2A is a gene, as necessary, possible, or simply as coincidental with testicular cancer or even testicular cancer survivors. So I first pondered that at the very beginning of critiquing this, this manuscript that we're talking about. So this was a cross-distributional study. So cohorts were not separated out a priori. So as to the reason you do that is to eliminate experimental design bias and false contribution from effector analysis, right? That's why you would do that. So therefore, it's more difficult actually to determine which, if any of the variables, contributed to the variation in the data. So you're looking at what is the variable that causes variation in the data. Then, then you can get a association, not necessarily a causal one, but an association from the effector. Now, however, having said all that, Cross-sectional studies like this, one we just talked, we've been talking about, are still really important, in my opinion, because they produce data that's more natural to the human population. For example, let me say, in the case of correlation of the CDK into a gene expression increase and the CD28 minus phenotype that was coincidental, could suggest that the two systems are related, both at the level of gene expression and maybe even antigen-presenting cell interactions with activated T-cells, but also perhaps an epigenetic factor or factors as yet not isolated from that population. So I think that this gives us a lot of good, good information and some new ideas for new experiments. That's what I'm saying. Now, to be sure, the testicular cancer survivors were analyzed at different time points after treatment. And there is no evidence from this paper anyways that P16 inc 4A variation simply with a short time interval. That's important to keep in mind. Now, recall, however, that uh, the testicular cancer survivors are cancer plus chemotherapy patients. 
So the effect of chemotherapy versus cancer itself still remains to be defined as related to the immunosenescence phenotype as associated with CD28 minus and the, and the increase in expression of P16 inc4a protein. Right? Right. Remember, that's a kinase inhibitor blocking cell cycle. Now, however, there were no differences, okay, in the CDK and 2A expression between patients that received three or four cycles of chemotherapy or patients that only received one or two of the regimens. So at least in terms of chemotherapy, you can glean a little bit more out of this paper and say that whatever the effect is on chemotherapy, it doesn't seem to be titratable, right? Because you have three different um, levels of chemotherapy, right? Three, three cycles, two cycles, or one cycle, and you can't see any difference. They're, all, they're, they're not differentiated. The data doesn't fall out according to titration. So a take-home message maybe from this paper could be that immunosenescent phenotype in the elderly, while associated with an increased rate of infection, a diminished effect of vaccines, an increased cancer susceptibility, may be promoted by cancer and or chemotherapy to younger patients. And that chemotherapy, of course, is used to cure the cancer. Both may contribute to immune compromise and a potential for gene mutation. And I would also suggest that be genetic phenomena. The authors are, after all, clinicians of this paper. So they stress that their work reinforces the importance of considering surveillance over chemotherapy or radiation therapy in the early stages of testicular cancer. The authors concluded then that testicular cancer survivors exposed to the chemotherapy, which allowed them to survive, presumably, presented multiple alterations in lymphocyte subpopulations and concomitantly an increased expression of the CDK and 2A, and that these alterations are akin to elderly immunosenescence. And I think that that's an interesting thing. Because for nothing else, it could be a population we could look at in terms of mechanisms of senescence and therefore aging, right? All right. So we're going to end there. I realized that was a short, shorter um, talk than I normally give, but I want to end there because we're ready now to go ahead and do a video lecture. And that's what I plan on doing next time. Now, this is going to be a architectonic discussion going way back for us to be able to evaluate, first of all, the immune responses, and then how the immune response that we've been following and checking along the way is related to immunosenescence of cells, and then in written large, how the immune system is associated with human aging, including the morbidity and mortality of that aging phenomena. Okay? So I encourage you to send me um, email if you have any questions about what we've done so far, and I can answer them on subsequent um, podcasts. In fact, I could devote an entire podcast just to answering your questions. And I'm really trying to encourage you 
to sign up and subscribe to Authentic Biochemistry Podcast because it's really getting critical for me to get enough people signed up and also to donate so that I continue to give you this um, prime discussion of the refereed, peer-reviewed scientific literature. That's what I'm about. And ultimately, we do have uh, a target audience. That's probably a target audience of people that have some training in biomedicine. But I'm also very interested in, in gearing lectures to lay people so that, that you all can understand how what's going on in the published research relates to therapies, both pharmacotherapy, surgical therapy, as well as dietary uh, alterations with your health, particularly for people that are aging. That's the current arc that we're on about aging because everyone is always aging until you die. But particularly how diseases of the elderly may be um, linked to um, a lifespan which is um, in less desirable, shall we say, than one that isn't so much wrapped up in how long one lives, but the quality of that life that is relatively disease-free. And if indeed, as I suspect, it's related to the immune system, then I think it's uh, all the more important to be able to relate the two and their functionality uh, into what I call a dialectical event ontology, which is what I'll do in the video lectures that are going to be subsequent. So thanks a lot for your uh, patience and for your attention. Uh, hoping you're having a good weekend. Um, and I will be next on a video lecture, probably early next week. This is going to be coming the very end of September into the beautiful month of October. So have a very good weekend. And uh, this is Dr. Dan Guerra saying bye for now.